Well, believe it or not, at one point I was 16 years old. It was, uh, I know. It was the spring of 1981. And I had had my license for, you know, maybe four or five months now. No real incidents. And so finally I had the opportunity to drive the new car, the good car, the 1980 Dodge Omni. That's right. Now, it's, it's kind of funny that my dad chose to buy this car. I mean, he was thinking about gas mileage, right? He really wasn't thinking about his own gene pool. Um, because I'm the smallest male in my family, right? I was 6'1 when we bought this car. My brother is right behind me, right? This car only lasted us five years because we grow... I mean, it's like the, the clowns getting out of the circus, you know, the car at the circus. It was just... It just didn't work for us. But at this moment, I had the chance to drive the good car. So I was out uh, to... You know, going to go out with some friends. And so I'm driving down Highway 13, which is kind of the north-south highway from Berkeley to Hayward through Oakland. And I'm driving, and all of a sudden I hear this thump. And the red oil light comes on, on the dashboard. And I do not know what to do. I'm not sure what it means. Should I pull over? And if I pull over, how am I going to hold my dad anyway? It's It's... There's no cell, I don't have a cell phone in 1981. And so I just kind of keep going for a couple miles because I'm almost to my destination and I park the car and I go out with my friends and we do what we did that night. I don't even remember what happened. And then I drive the car home with the red light on, blinking. And I get home and say, hey, Dad, the red light came on. And... It was a scary moment. Let's just put it that way. Now, I was praying when he told me what that red light means. It means that your engine oil is not getting to lubricate the pistons. That's what's happening. And you could damage that engine horribly. And what had happened, here's what happened. What that thump was, the oil filter was not properly on there. It had come off. And if you know what happens, I mean, it's basically dra- it's hemorrhaging all of its oil out of it. I praise God that I think the engine was okay. We got the, a new oil filter on it, refilled it with oil, and it seems like there was no damage. And I live past 16. But here's the point. That even though the oil filter not coming, coming off was not my fault, It was my fault that I ignored the warning sign. I just hoped that everything would be okay. And that's what we're going to see today. Is Jesus dealing with people and he is a bright red warning sign to people. And if they continue ignoring him, then maybe some damage will be done that is going to be irreversible. And that's true for us as well. So if you have your Bibles, you might want to crack it open to Luke chapter 11. That's where we're going to be. But before we start, let me, let me open us up in a word of prayer. So Lord God, I'm grateful that we're able to look into your word, the truth of your word, the truth of who you are, Lord Jesus. And I pray you open our eyes to that. 
I'm thinking of your word today where you said that your word is like a fire. It consumes our dross. It's like a hammer. It breaks up the hardness of our hearts. Would you do that today in us? I'm grateful that we can come before you. Lord, do your work in us, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to pick it up here at verse 29 through verse 32. Luke 11, 29 through 32. As the crowds increased, Jesus said, This is a wicked generation. It asks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah was assigned to the Ninevites, so also will the Son of Man be to this generation. The Queen of the South will rise at the judgment with the people of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom, and now something greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will stand at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now something greater than Jonah is here. Here's the context. Jesus, the Messiah, Jesus the Christ, is bringing the kingdom of God. Flesh has invaded human, God in the flesh has invaded invaded human history. To restore relationship, broken relationship between a holy God and sinful human beings. And it is articulated by Jesus calling people to repent, to turn back to God rather than continuing on going their own way. And turning to Him to take Him at His word, to put faith in Him, as He calls Himself the Son of Man, And what he can do in bringing the kingdom of God into their hearts. And it is also demonstrated by Jesus doing miracles. Healing a man from leprosy. Making a a sick man well. Causing a paralytic to be able to walk. Even raising the dead. Now here's the thing. When Jesus would do a miracle, he doesn't do so as kind of a, a, you know, carnival uh, magician to entertain the people. He does it with purpose to show his power and his ability to set people free from their bondage, whether it's physical, emotional, spiritual, and to show the power of the kingdom of God. Up to this point, Jesus has done plenty of public miracles to demonstrate the authenticity of himself and his message. But not everyone, and as we saw earlier, in this, in this chapter, Jesus actually casts out a demon out of a man who is kept mute. He can't speak. And when he casts him out, he's able to speak. But not everyone likes what Jesus has to say. Not everyone likes Jesus' message. And so they start to question him. Question his motives. Question his, what kingdom he brings. In fact, he gets accused of casting out this demon by the prince of demons. By casting him out by the devil, if you will. And we saw last week that Jesus handily deals with that issue. But here's what happens. There's still a crowd around him demanding that he, at will, at their demand, do a miracle to prove who he is. That he really is authentically the the king. 
to satisfy their skeptical hearts. And so it is to this crowd, to this generation, if you will, that Jesus speaks these words. And here's what I want you to know. Here's the whole theme of this passage. That Jesus is a sign that we can't go on living life as usual. Let me say that again. Jesus is a sign that we cannot go on living life as usual. And this breaks down into two parts. Number one, Jesus is a sign of warning. Number two, Jesus is a sign that God is at work. And you'll see how that works itself out. So again, Jesus is confronting this crowd. And again, in verse um, 29, this is what he said. This is a wicked generation. How would you like that to be said to you? But he says that to this generation. He confronts them. It asks for a sign. Now, how many of you, if you're honest with yourself, sometimes are asking God for a sign? To do something to show that he's real or he's out there. It's kind of our nature, isn't it? We kind of want to say, show me God. Then I'll believe you. If I see it, then I'll believe it. You know what's interesting to me? And and as we look at the Old Testament in Exodus, Genesis, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, for 40 years... God does all sorts of signs. He shows up miraculously. He, in fact, he feeds people manna day in and day out for 40 years. It's a miracle every day. And yet somehow the people still don't believe God. Isn't that interesting? And for those of us who are believers, followers of Jesus Christ, aren't there those moments where we pray for God to do something? And he does. He graciously answers our prayers. God is still at work, folks. I'm not, I'm not negating that. You know, but what's interesting, though, is oftentimes we say, when we see God answer our prayers, we say, I'll never doubt you again, God. I'll never doubt you again. And then the next crisis comes. And all of a sudden we're questioning him all over again. And even those who doubt God, who doubt what he's saying, a miracle will happen. I don't know if you were paying attention in, in uh, December, there's a young lady in Texas. Her name is Roxley Doss. She had an inoperable brain tumor. It was on, on, on the PET scan or whatever they used to show what was going on in her brain. They thought she only had months to live. You know what happened? The next PET scan they went through, or the scan of her brain, it was gone. People have been praying. They said, we have no explanation for this. But there must be some other explanation. See, oftentimes we're looking for a sign, and then when God shows it, we still end up doubting it. And Jesus knows that. And he, so he says this, None will be given except the sign of Jonah. Now that's kind of an interesting statement. What do you mean, the sign of Jonah? It, we're familiar with Jonah. He's an Old Testament prophet. And he's not a mythical prophet, folks. He's a historical prophet. You can read about him in 2 Kings, verse 14, 25. And he was a prophet during the reign, the historical reign, of King Amaziah of Judah and Jeroboam II of Israel. But we probably know him more specifically from the book of Jonah, the book that's about his his ministry and the, the call that God had on him. And the book breaks down into two parts. But we oftentimes focus on the first part. We know the story. 
God calls him to go to Nineveh to go proclaim judgment against that, that city. And Jonah doesn't want to do it. He runs away. He gets on a ship. The ship gets out to, to sea. God brings a storm. And they find out that Jonah is the one. He's the cause of it. And he says, throw me overboard. They throw him overboard. He gets swallowed by a fish. He's in the fish's belly for three days. And then he's barfed out on the beach. Right? And we are amazed that God could sustain Jonah for three days in the belly of the fish. That's often what we focus on. But what Jesus is focusing in on here is really the second half of this ministry. Because the word of God comes to Jonah the son, the son of Amity a second time. And this time he obeys. This time he goes to Nineveh. And he goes and he proclaims the word God has for him. A word of judgment because the wickedness of this people has come up against them, to, against God. And he goes around saying, in 40 days, Nineveh will come to an end. In 40 days, Nineveh will come to an end. Now, culturally, first of all, think about this. Israel and Assyria were enemies. That's what Nineveh represents. They were, it, was the, it was the capital of Assyria. It would be like an American walking around in Iran saying, in 40 days, Iran will come to an end. I mean, this is, this is the cultural thing that's going on. It's not a very great message. I don't think he included, and I got barfed up out of, out of a fish. for three. I've been there for three days. No, it was just in 40 days, God's going to bring an end to Nineveh. I think the greater miracle here is that the Ninevites respond. They repent. They repent of their evil. And it's from the king to actually the barnyard animals. They all put on sackcloth. You read about it. They, they put it on their, their, you know, their goats, their cows, whatever. They all repented, even their animals. And God relents. He does not bring judgment upon, upon them. That's the amazing thing. So Jesus says, For as Jonah was assigned to the Ninevites so also the Son of Man will be for this generation. Here it is. Jesus is a, a warning sign. He is a warning sign that God will judge our sin. That God will judge our wickedness, our evil, our proclivity or tendency to go our own way, our own desire to rebel against Him. And our inability to fulfill his perfect standard. And ultimately, this is a call to repent. To turn back toward God. And again, verse 32. Jesus says, the men of Nineveh will stand at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And now something greater than Jonah is here. These pagans who were really oppressive, they were awful people according to worldly standards, they turned, they believed God and they turned away from their sin. They turned toward God. And yet Jesus is saying, this is what these pagans did, but you know what you're doing? You're rejecting. You're rejecting the one who brings the kingdom of God and he is greater than than Jonah. 
Folks, there was no, there was no shortage of God's word in the first century. If, if anything, it was a, a great time where people wanted to get more serious about following God's law. They wanted to do that. In fact, they made rules for the rules, just to make sure they didn't break the rules. And many responded by saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to follow the rules. I'm going to pull myself up my own bootstraps. And a lot of us try and do that today. We try and do that. And it might be even out of good motives. Just, just tell me what I can do to please God, to be right with Him, and, and I'll do it. There are two problems with this. Number one, the first problem is you might actually succeed for a little while. You might get good at being good. And, and it causes you to become judgmental of others who aren't doing that. But eventually, you crash and burn. You crash because you can't do it. You really can't love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. When you really think about it, when you really get honest about that, you really can't do that. And so some of us, the response is, well, I can't do it, so why should I even try? And some people say, I don't even care. The call is to repent. The call is to turn toward God. You know, I'm going to share with something with you that I think is actually quite crass. But it, it, it illustrates the point. In office, in corporate America, sometimes people talk about a come to Jesus meeting. And I don't like that phrase. I don't like that phrase for two reasons. Number one, I think it takes Jesus' name in vain. Number two, I think it's a wrong understanding. Because for people in the corporate world, they think a come to Jesus meeting usually is usually a boss coming to an employee saying, you're blowing it. And unless you get your act together, you're out of here. That is how that is explained. That's a wrong understanding. I think a better understanding is this. And I think we all need to have a come to Jesus moment. I realize that I am blowing it. That I do fall short of God's standard. But my answer is not get my act together. My answer is turn back toward God. To call him, confess him to him. I need him. I've blown it. And I believe in you. I believe in what you have done, Lord Jesus. Jesus is a sign of warning against sin. You see this cross behind me? Who does it represent? We don't associate ate that, that cross with anyone else except for Jesus. It is a sign. It is a sign of our sin, that God has to punish sin because he is a just God. But it is also a sign of God's love and compassion because on the cross, he pays that penalty. He satisfies that debt. 
He satisfies his own justice. The Apostle Paul will explain it this way in Romans 5, 8, and 9. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in this. While we were still sinners, while we were still shaking our fist against God, doing our own thing, Christ died for us. Since we have been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? Folks, I've been following Jesus for a long time now, probably 40 plus years. And I've had many come to Jesus moments. Maybe the first time when I initially put my faith in Jesus. Understanding that I was a sinner and He was the Savior who paid the price for me. And started to walk with Him by faith. Other come to Jesus moments where there was sin in my life. I was doing my own thing. And I needed to repent of that. Because I was heading down a life of, a life of destruction. I've had come to Jesus moments of my pride where I was pretty full of myself and thought I was doing pretty well. God was lucky to have me on this team. And I had to repent of that, realizing I need Jesus every day. And I have come to Jesus moments every Sunday. I realize I cannot do this ministry without Him. I honestly, I I pray every time I'm driving up here, Lord, I cannot do this without you. We need to keep turning back to him day in and day out. If you've never done that for the first time, I, I pray that you will desire that because he is the one who deals with that warning sign that we are under God's wrath. We are heading towards destruction without him. We can't, he's a sign that we can't go on living life as usual. We must repent. We must turn to him. The second part of this, that Jesus is a sign that God is at work. Jesus is a sign that God is at work. Now look again at verse 31. Jesus said, the queen of, of the south will arise, will arise at the judgment with the people of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom, and now something greater than Solomon is here. The reign of King Solomon, son of David, represents the pinnacle of God's Old Testament people. God comes to Solomon in a dream, and he says, Whatever you want, because of my relationship with your father David, I will give it to you. Long life, riches, uh, conquering your enemies. And you know what Solomon prays for? Really, by the grace of God, he says, I want wisdom. Wisdom to, ra- to know how to rule this people because I don't know how to do it. I can't do it myself. And you know what? God answers him. He backs up the truck. He backs up the truck and gives Solomon wisdom like has never been seen. He also gives him riches, fame, wealth, and prosperity. God backs up the truck. During this time, the kingdom of Israel is never stronger, never more unified, never more prosperous, never more glorious. It's during this time that the temple is built and it becomes famous throughout the world what God is doing in Israel. Hey, have you heard about Solomon? 
God has put him on the throne. He has given him his wisdom. It is amazing. And the word spreads to the kingdoms all the way down to a queen who's in Sheba or the queen of the south. We're not quite sure where that is. It might be Ethiopia. It might be modern-day Yemen. But she hears about it. And so she comes. She comes to check it out. She says, okay, I want to see what God is doing. And she comes to test him. She comes from the ends of the earth, it says. And she finds out that it's true. Every question that she has, easy for Solomon to answer. She looks around, sees the splendor of his kingdom, of his palace. He sees the, the wonder, the beauty of what's happening at the temple. She sees the wisdom of his administration, the clothes that his, his, his servants and his administrators are wearing. And it is an amazing thing. God is at work. And she says, it's true. In fact, the scripture says that she was overwhelmed. Literally, she was breathless. She says, and I hadn't even heard of the half of it. It's amazing. God is at work here in Israel. And because of that, she aligns herself with Solomon. She gives him 16 tons of gold as well as numerous spices that has never been seen like Israel. But she knows that God is at work here in Israel. And here's something else I want you to notice. This is a sideline, but I want you to catch this. Both of the people that Jesus holds up as examples are both outsiders, and one is a man, one is a woman. God is not concerned about your, your, your family of origin. He's concerned about your heart response to him. But Jesus again now says, now something greater than Solomon is here. Jesus brings the kingdom of God. And he is Israel's true king. By outward appearances, it doesn't seem as glorious as Solomon. But he brings a greater kingdom with greater wisdom because he is at work in the hearts of men and women. And that will, it greatly affects all of history. All of eternity. Now, you or I may appreciate what the, the things that Solomon published, the collection of wisdom and Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. We may appreciate that, but it really doesn't have much effect on our day-to-day lives. I want to say Jesus has impacted world history more than anyone, more than any leader that's ever existed by how we value children, women, compassion for the poor, the hospital as a result of Jesus' followers, humility as a virtue. There's a book I keep recommending, and I'm going to keep recommending it. It's called Who Is This Man? by John Ortberg. And you see how Jesus has impacted all of Western history. He's changed it. But more importantly, the fact that Jesus, the God-man, entered history. He put on flesh He knows what it's like to live this life with all of its frustrations and limitations, and yet he was without sin. He was without sin. And he goes to the cross in apparent weakness to pay sin's debt. But in power, he is raised from the dead. And you know what the Apostle Paul calls him? Jesus the Christ is the wisdom of God, greater than that of Solomon. This is what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 24 through 30. 
But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards, not many influential, not many of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things, the things that are not, to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, our holiness, and redemption. Jesus is a sign that God really is at work. So I want to go back to my premise. Jesus is a sign that we can't go on living life as usual. His life is a blinking light saying, what are you going to do? How are you going to respond? Because God is going to come and punish sin. Because God has involved himself in human history. What are you going to do? Now you can reject him. God gives you that choice. But if you're going to reject him, make sure you know that a judgment day isn't coming. Because Jesus says it is. You can choose to do what I did with my car, ignore it. But ignoring never changes reality. You can choose to investigate. And if if you're searching by faith about who Jesus is, I want to encourage you to do that. Here's my also my caution. Don't put it off because someday never comes. Find out who this Jesus is. Most importantly, what I encourage you to do is embrace him. Come to him. Come and put your faith in him that he does what you cannot do. That he makes you right before a holy God. That he'll give you life and give you freedom as you put your faith in him. And he can change you now. And he changes your eternity. Jesus is a sign that we can't go on living life as usual. How are you going to respond? The choice is up to you. I'd like to pray and then Aaron, will you and the worship team come and close us here? So Lord Jesus, you have revealed to us that you are a sign. And give us grace to respond to it if we've not yet. We need to have those come to you, Lord Jesus, moments. Maybe for someone, it's today, you're doing that for the very first time. And if that's you, I just want to lead you in prayer. Saying, Lord Jesus, I I realize that I have sinned. 
that I've gone against the standard of a holy God and what I deserve is, is God's judgment, God's punishment. But you, Lord Jesus, came and took that punishment upon yourself. And so I put my faith in you and what you've done in paying that penalty and rising from the dead. And I trust you to come in and change me, give me life that I don't have in myself, and to give me eternal life today. And if that's you, you can pray that in your own heart. My, my words are not magic words, but it's just a sincere expression of a heart that wants to respond to the warning signs of God. And for the rest of us, Lord, give us grace to come to you daily, to repent, to turn to you daily. We find ourselves out of sorts with you because you have entered history and you're making the difference for now and for eternity. And we need to respond to you in truth, Lord. You can come and live in us and do in us what we cannot do ourselves. Lord Jesus, we continue to put our faith in you and how you want to change us and make us your oaks of righteousness as Evie shared with us earlier today. We're grateful. And it's in your name. Come and reign and rule in us. Amen.